what do you do for a living? It's like, I write erotic tragedy novels. It's like, damn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, no, I don't tell anyone about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. sex and it always ends with tears. It's like, oh no. Lillian, hello to you. How's it going? To you. It's a great day. It's a beautiful Friday here. I've made you watch something that I've gotten the impression maybe wasn't your favorite thing, but is one of my favorite things. <laughs> um, and we're headed into a lovely, lovely weekend. How it's are so, you? Oh my gosh, I am great. I, You're right. This wasn't my favorite, but I also didn't hate it. Um okay, but uh, yeah, this is, it's the least I can do, Lillian, after asking you to join me on the theme of this podcast, uh, the least I can do is watch something that you love in return. So I'm that's, happy to do it. That's a great point. Well, for our listeners who maybe <laughs> didn't read the title of today's episode, we are not talking about Jane Eyre today. We're talking about one of my favorite shows, which is Bridgerton. Mm-hmm. And I have <laughs> watched... So we're only talking about season one because I already made Piper watch what is essentially eight hours of Bridgerton, even <laughs> yes. though I wanted her to watch both seasons. <laughs> um, but I have watched, I watched the first season right when it came out. And then I watched it again later that year. And then I watched it just about a month ago. And then I, I realized I watched like highlights of it for this. I like <laughs> skimmed through parts that I was like, this isn't suspenseful to me because I know exactly what's going to happen here. So didn't watch it as in depth, but I feel like since I watched it a month ago for the third time, and this was my fourth <laughs> time watching it, that was enough. Uh, there were definitely some moments in the last few episodes where I just had it playing in the background while I was working. <laughs> and I even did the thing where I moved my cursor along and looked at the thumbnails. I'm like, okay, they're still having sex and they're still having sex. Okay, back to plot, it looks like. So <laughs> this will oh. be a very sex positive episode, by the way, guys. So if you're uncomfortable people talking about the art of lovemaking, maybe skip this one. Um, but if you love that, then stick around because we got lots of things to chat about. And we're not going to talk about it the whole time. Other things also <laughs> happen in Bridgerton. And there is a particular section where we will explicitly say, hey, this is, we're going to be a little explicit here. Um, and then, so there's, there's probably going to be some bits if you're um, <laughs> talking about, that's not talking about bits. Got them. <laughs> nice. My recap, by the way, might be like a little tiny bit explicit, but I just have a few <laughs> things that are just going to slip in there. So. So yeah, usually we've had our last two palate cleansers. This is our little, to get our our refresh and do something that's not Jane Eyre. Our last two palate cleansers have been my favorite thing that you also loved. And then your favorite thing that I also loved. And the person who loved it was the one who recapped it. Mm -hmm. Um, And this time instead, we're going to do it backwards. And it is (laughs) Piper's turn to recap in our order of things. And this is also her first time watching it. So we're going to make Piper recap eight hours of television. Oh my goodness. And we're going to see how quickly she can do that. This is going to be a long one, but I'm going to try and keep it short. I'm not going to go into every detail. Um, If you haven't watched Bridgerton, you won't be able to say that soon. Yes. (laughs) Are you ready with the timer? I am ready with the timer. Okay, here we go. 
Bridgerton is the story of uh, London society, especially all of the upper crust fancy people. And it opens with the uh, all the debutantes are coming out for the coming out season where all the pretty young ladies go out and get to be shown off and hopefully find husbands. Um, everyone is presented before the queen. And we have our main girl um, who is a Bridgerton. And because she is very, very pretty, the queen's like, that one is special. And she has nothing else about her. So now this girl is set onto a pedestal and she's like, oh my, I guess I have to be perfect. And her brother is very protective of her but her father is dead so he is now the head of the household and he has to take care of her and see to her suitors he chases all the suitors away because he thinks they're not good enough for her so then the only one who wants to be with her is this skeevy dude who's really good at getting punched in the face um, and has a lot of problems uh, he corners her in a garden and then this duke comes in and he like defends her honor and all this stuff and then they decide because he's got this problem that he's like super handsome and has his money and all the mamas are going to throw their ladies at him uh, and he's like I don't want to get married because my dad is an evil bastard and I promise him on the day that he died that the line would end with me and so he's like i will never marry i will never have babies but for you lady let's make this weird scheme where everyone thinks that we're together that way guys will think you're hot and ladies will think i'm unavailable so they do the scheme for a while uh the queen's nephew comes to town he's a german guy he's very sweet um and he like puts forward a proposal and for whatever reason oh yes the turning point is when you know everything's going great with their scheme but then the duke teaches her how to masturbate and then he gets mad <laughs> about it and he's like oh no wait i I guess I'm too evil for you. I've just corrupted you. And so he pretends that he never liked her and they're not friends. And so to get revenge, she pretends to be engaged or like courting with this prince. And so then last minute, um, there's like this big declaration in the garden once again, and she and the Duke make out and then the brother sees it. And he's like, oh my God, you've taken her honor. Now you have to marry her. And he's like, no, I won't marry her. And she's like, oh my God, you hate me and all this stupid shit. There's a duel that she interrupts by running into the way, but the Duke was going to shoot into the sky. And there's all of this stupid confusion where she's like, you'd rather die than marry me. And he's like, no, that's not it. But I'm not going to tell you the actual reason. Then they do get married. There's a whole scandal stuff about like trying to push it forward. Everyone's like, oh, is she preggers? And it's like, no, we're just super duper in love. And he gives a great moving speech. But every time she seems to look at him, she always seems uncomfortable and quiet. So I don't think it's very believable, but they buy it. <laughs> and then uh, they get married. Uh, so then we move on to other people's issues. Um... Okay, there's a whole thing about a girl being pregnant and the ladies that she lives with is trying to get her married off and the sister of that lady, no, a daughter of that lady is in love with another Bridgerton boy, but the pregnant lady is trying to get the Bridgerton boy and it's this whole complicated thing. Uh, and then that all gets blown up and, and thrown out the window. The main um, Bridgerton guy is courting a opera singer and then that falls apart. Um, the sister of the pr fr pretty Bridgerton girl is uh, bookish and hates uh, the laws of society that she's forced into and criticizes it every chance she gets. She's a writer. She's trying to figure out who this lady, um, Featherington, no, not Featherington, uh, the mystery woman Whistle who's writing... Down. Whistle down. the mystery woman who's writing all the scandal papers that everyone's obsessed with and who is the narrator of the story. She's intent in finding who it is. And at the very end, we find out that actually it's her best friend. She didn't know and no one else knows. Only us, the audience, knows. Oh, oh, um, they once they're married, they have a lot of sex and she's like, this is great, but something seems a little off because every time they're doing it, he like ejaculates into a rag and she's like, that seems wrong but like then she confronts him and he's like i can never have babies and she's like you were a big old liar and it's a whole like they're enemies lovers enemies lovers and when finally they know the truth then they're like okay i guess everything's chill and then she does get pregnant and it ends with a baby in their arms uh and a whole bunch of other stuff happens but there's the gist ah bridgerton <laughs> that's it i'm having too hard to talk i'm sorry <laughs>
If uh, my randomly rant was not enough to chase you away from this episode, thank you for sticking around. Uh, I hope the part about the cum rag really grabbed you and kept you listening for more. <laughs> uh, and him teaching her to masturbate and then being like, I don't like you no more. Bye. It's like, wow, okay, weird. <laughs> oh, God, that was so funny. Um, thank you. I'll okay, I'm getting, I'm getting my breath back. That was um, my favorite three and a half minutes of my entire life. Yay! Uh, <laughs> 10 out of 10 would listen to again. But you had so much more to recap than we've ever had to recap before. Seriously. And it's like, I'm trying to figure out what details are important for the overarching plot versus like all the tiny little petty quarrels and issues that they have that come up and then are instantly wiped under the rug. So I don't know. There's a lot of little stuff that comes up here and there, but those are the big like dramatic plot points. Yes. And speaking of this being much longer than we usually do for some of these things, generally we will kind of go essentially chronologically, but really talking about the parts that interest us and grab us as we go through these. Um, we are not going to do that for this because that would be the longest episode of anything that's ever happened and too mean to do to Piper. <laughs> so instead, we're going to go through some different things. I have a little bit of contextual stuff to include in this and including some like larger commentary on genre, which I will try not to talk about for the rest of time because it is a <laughs> really big passion of mine. But then we're going to talk about some of the characters and, and some of those things. And we will, of course, talk about plot points and, and moments that we love, like the cum rag thing. <laughs> there were so many moments when, like, they were doing it and then he'd roll over and be like, ooh, and make a noise. And I'm like, you just, like, ruined those sheets. Like, gross. Like, now your staff has to clean that. That's icky. <laughs> okay. Well, so, contextually, I think the biggest thing about this that is different than any of the other things that we've done before is we have uh, looked at, so we obviously know Jane Eyre pretty well at this point. Mm -hmm. We have also watched and talked about North and South. That was our last palate cleanser. Um, and then we've also watched Pride and Prejudice. All of those were books that were written about the time they were in by authors who were in that time. So the authors were women of that time writing about their contemporary world. Mm -hmm. This is the first thing that we've watched where the, it was adapting a book that was written more currently. There was early 2000s that these books were written that is taking place historically. So it really changes the, what it is. I also think Bridgerton is not trying to be a period drama like these other period dramas are. Yeah. So it's not trying to be representative of the times. You can mm -hmm. see that in the costumes and the music and all these other elements of it. I really feel like this show is a blending of a period drama and a contemporary romance. And I, I love both those things and yeah. love the way they blended it. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. They were elements of this that made me think of like a sort of like, and I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but like a, like a CW teen drama, like that kind of was there. And then also when they were first doing, you know, the whole season of like ladies trying to find guys and suitors would come, it felt very like the bachelor or the bachelorette to me. And all of these things are things that I'm not particularly drawn to, but like, maybe that's kind of why I saw the similarities in those things in this. And I was like, okay, like, I'm not saying it's bad. It just wasn't my thing. But I do see those contemporary influences very heavily in this. It didn't feel period. It felt more contemporary than period to me. Yeah. And I definitely think like, especially 
with what we consume, the media that even just you guys know about that we consume is very much trying to be a period piece, trying to be more period accurate where this is definitely not. Yeah. Um, so just to give people an idea of the time that it's somewhat representative of Jane Eyre was 1847 pride and prejudice was 1812. This was meant to be taking place in the summer of 1813. So that's when, when this is sort of supposed to be taking place, you can see in all of the fashion. I really, really loved I really like the way they did the fashion differently. The first season, the first time I watched it, I didn't like it at all. Mm -hmm. And it keeps growing on me because of the way they've done things a bit differently with this. Okay. But I have a lot of other things I want to talk about with this. A couple other contextual things that I want to mention is, so in terms of rank, I don't know how much you know about like Netflix rankings, but in terms of Netflix shows, Mm -hmm. where do you think this show ranks in popularity? Um, well, it just got its second season. I know people talk about it a lot, so I would assume it is usually showing up in that whole like Netflix's top 10 thing, but who knows how often that's to just their marketing of being like, look, it's the number one in America, but that's just them yeah. wanting people to watch it. But I would say it's probably pretty high in popularity. Netflix does based off of watching hours in the first 28 days that something's up. Season one was just moved from the number one slot of English speaking shows to the number two slot of English speaking shows because season two was in number one in English speaking shows. There you go. Um, the only show that is higher than that is overall Squid Games crushes everything. Um, <laughs> not in English, but everybody on earth watched that seven times. It sounds like. Um, so it is an incredibly popular show. And I think the reason why that matters in, as we're talking about this is I think it does that blending in the contemporary pieces mm-hmm. makes it appeal to a broader audience. Oh, absolutely. Although in appealing to that broader audience, it makes it less specifically scratching that itch that a period drama does. Right. <laughs> and I think that's a really good way of putting it. Cause I think when I first attempted to watch this, cause yeah, I saw like the ads and I was like, Ooh, a Regency romance. I love it. I put it on expecting uh pride and prejudice vibes and i did not get that at all and because i think like what you're talking about they have this more kind of broad approachability to it and i think just because it wasn't quite the tone that i was looking for is why i first turned it off and stopped watching but um that really kind of puts the the pin in it of what i was kind of vibing with so yeah and i think that another example of kind of that blending of of current and um, period romance is the music. I don't know how much I love the Bridgerton music. I listen to it. It's my like instrumental background music when I'm working on stuff, Mm -hmm. they take, they do covers of contemporary songs with Mm -hmm. essentially like a full orchestra. It's really, really good. I really like it. (laughs) What did you think of it? I they the songs grew on me at first, like when I first heard it and I was like, wait a second, this is a pop song. And I was like, really? And then but, you know, then as it went on throughout the show, it's like, all right, this is their thing there. It is pretty. It's yeah, it's like a Regency version of uh, postmodern jukebox, which does kind of like swing time and jazz covers of pop songs. So, yeah. Yeah. I also think I do think it just is really a different thing. And it is jarring if you put it in the context of like if you watch Pride and Prejudice and Jane and like a great adaption of Jane Eyre, mm-hmm. and then you watch North and South, and then you watch this, it's not the same. <laughs> no, 
I, I think it just caught me by surprise. Like if yeah. you had told me going into it, like you're like, okay, this is kind of like a contemporary take on a period romance. I'd be like, okay, cool. If you're like, there's going to be pop songs, but they're going to be like done by a quartet. I'd be like, okay, okay. So it just surprised me when I was like, this sounds familiar. I'm like, wait a second. Is this that song? <laughs> and it was so, but yeah, it just it caught was. me by surprise. Well, okay. I have, I have a whole section that I told Piper about prior to us doing this, and then we're going to go into characters and stuff, but I want to talk about this kind of up top, especially if you heard our initial warning and you're skipping through being like, I don't want to hear about sex. This is the part (laughs) where we're going to talk about sex a lot. So if you, and also if you know me and are related to me, you can listen to it, but you can't talk to me about it. <laughs> Lillian's all here about the sex positivity, but also still a little embarrassed. <laughs> Unless if you, if you are a person who knows me in life and feels like you want to talk to me about this, cause you feel similarly to how I do mm-hmm. about sex positivity in culture. Great. Yeah. If you relate it to me, that's never going to be an okay topic. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I oh. am going to do my very best not to resort to like weird, I don't know, middle school talking about this. <laughs> Cause for whatever reason, it's hard for me to be an adult when it comes to sex things. I'm always like, so when they were like bumping bits, you know, like doing the dirty, <laughs> I'm going to try and be a little more eloquent than that. <laughs> Coming from the woman who just said come rag, but okay. Yeah, you know, come it's a balance Lillian. It's either bumping bits or come rag. It's, you know, <laughs> it's one of the two we swing to the extremes. Exactly. <laughs> um, so the, the thing that I actually called Piper earlier this week to ask her if she would be comfortable with me talking about this a little bit is the idea of romance versus erotica and Mm -hmm. what is a romance book what makes a book a romance where does the line come (laughs) with sex (laughs) (laughs) amazing we're off to such a mature start I caught myself off guard I didn't mean to say that we're doing great we're adult we're both adults this is fine amazing amazing. um so (laughs) sorry oh my god I'm gonna just crawl in a hole and die now so you're talking about cum (laughs) (laughs) I I want you to cut that out or not we'll just have to keep going we'll power through (laughs) all right so we're going to talk about the difference between specifically in terms of, I'm going to be talking about this in terms of books because Mm -hmm. that's where it's talked about kind of most often Mm -hmm. romance books in general. I feel like, because I know that this is true from statistics and stuff gets a really bad rap Mm -hmm. um, and gets very much belittled in culture and its impact and is immediately dismissed as a form of literature in general. And then even more so if there's any on-page sex or intimacy Mm -hmm. that is immediately dismissed as no longer a part of like literature or any of those things. Even though the romance market is like the most profitable of the whole like book universe. By a good, good margin. So just to give you guys an idea of what that is, there was a study done that I pulled some stats from. um, And in this, these are all based off of Amazon statistics because they're easy to access. Mm -hmm. So Amazon sells just a just over 60% of all books. Um, it varies a little bit depending on whether you're talking about ebooks or physical books, but of the top five genres, uh, horror is number five that has sells just that sold just shy of $8 million of books in 2020. Sci-fi and fantasy are grouped together and that sold about 590 million religion and inspirational, which includes like how-to books and and things like that and like self-help and stuff 
um, sold 720 million. Crime and Mystery is the second, and that sold 728 million. Romance and Erotica sold 1.4 billion. Yes. So they did tw- that sold twice as much as the next highest um, genre. Yeah. And these are huge genres. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is so these this is a huge cultural impact that these mm-hmm. books are having and they're very dismissed. And I think that the reason why it bothers me that they're dismissed is it is also a, 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 a dominant both in authors and in readers mm-hmm. by women. Yes. Um, and so it's dismissed as, in terms of its value in literature, its cultural impact, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has changed a lot in the last couple of years. And I think that the fact that a Julia Quinn book, because she writes romance with explicit sex on page, has been adapted into a show like Bridgerton mm-hmm. is both a reflection of that and something that is is moving that forward as more people feel comfortable talking about the fact that they read books in this genre. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm sure many people who read these books and who enjoy this kind of story is like really grateful and happy that it's becoming more brought into the light of day and not something that should be thought of as shameful that you read in private or secretly. The thing that I can personally relate to this is I've always been a lover of fan fiction Mm -hmm. and it's been, I've read it all my life and it's only been the last maybe like five to 10 years that I've felt actually comfortable talking about that or admitting it to people Mm -hmm. that I both read and write it. Because I think similar to romance, there's this idea that a lot of people jump to right away where they think, oh, that's just smut. And it's like, I mean, sometimes there's smut, but sometimes Mm -hmm. there's not. And if so, who cares? If I like it and it's nice, it's not hurting anybody, then it's Mm -hmm. great. These are all legitimate things. And so, yeah, I'm glad that that's coming forward more with romance, published literature, and also fan fiction as well. Yeah. And I I completely agree. And I, I, in a very different experience with that, while I always loved romances like Pride and Prejudice and romantic stories in that way, I didn't read any romance books until two years ago because I thought that I thought of them as like porn. And I was like, well, I don't want to read porn. That doesn't sound fun (laughs) to me. And so then I started dipping my toe into reading these books when people were that I, I would read books and somebody would recommend this other book. And I knew that it was spicy (laughs) and I wouldn't want to read it because I was like, well, I, that's not for me. And I realized that that was actually a prejudice against something that ultimately has to do with the level of sexism and also sex shaming and all these things that are deeply unnecessary and very ingrained in our culture. Um, but in starting to read them, I realized that like, yeah, that's there, but that's not the, the heart of it. That's not the main part. And also it's not bad to find some of that fun and to have that be, I had, there was this creator on TikTok who explained it in a really lovely way that one of the reasons why Uh, stories that have spice and smut and sometimes explicit erotica are particularly appealing to women is it is a safe space for women to explore sexuality. Mm -hmm. And if that, it makes you go, well, why aren't you doing that in the world? I don't know if you've been a woman in the world, but I'm (laughs) guessing you haven't given that being your response. And I actually don't care what you think. Please go away forever. (laughs) Just kidding. Listen to our podcast and fight me. Just to briefly dip a toe into something. So like, if it's like, if we go into like some elements of erotica, right? Like there Mm -hmm. are different like kinks and and things like, I don't know if we've kind of touched on this before, but 
Um, like I love in a romance, I love a villain who like seduces the heroine. I love Mm -hmm. a bad guy. And even some element, like a trope that I'm really into is sort of like a kidnapping trope where Mm -hmm. like he takes the lady away. And so the thing is, is like in real life, that is very, very bad. But in fiction, like this is a genre that I'm a trope that I'm specifically seeking out and that the author has specifically written. So it's like the whole control is within, you know, this scope. Like we always know it's always safe. It's never Mm -hmm. actually dangerous. Like that's the whole thing is that there's, it's almost like a safe word for a book, yeah. right? <laughs> and it's, and it's the idea, I think consent is something that is yes. explored really, really well in these kind of books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anytime that somebody says like, like consent isn't sexy, I'm like, I don't know that you're reading the right books, huh? There Seriously. Is- oh my, oh my <laughs> God. No, but I, <laughs> I, we don't, Piper and I will talk about this a lot more forever if we, <laughs> if we aren't careful. And I have a bunch more specific things that I want to say. So, <laughs> Go ahead. Um, but I, I agree that like tropes and actively seeking it out, like even within that, that's a safety consent thing that you don't get in life always, yes. especially as a woman and exactly. really anyone, but particularly women, um, or women presenting people, I should clarify female presenting folks. So the, the one piece that I want to clarify, and I have this blog that I'm going to send to Piper to add to the description. Um, and it's your, the title of the blog is you're probably wrong about the difference between romance and erotica. And one of the things, even when Piper and I were just talking about it, I explicitly said that I wanted to talk about this and she goes, so this would be erotica, right? Because there's sex on page. And I'm like, Nope. Um, (laughs) so that's one of the things that I want to talk about here. So the, the very, very high level difference is romance has the center of the plot is love. Erotica, the center of the plot is sexual discovery. Mm-hmm. So romance books, um, to define those, romance books, uh, the plot is specifically centered around the idea of a couple or people falling in love and their relationship is what the book is about. Other things can happen, but the romance is central. So there are lots of books that have a secondary plot point Mm -hmm. that is romance. This, the main driver of the plot is the romantic story. Right. Um, So sex can happen in the book, but it's not what it's all about. Yes. Um, So that's not necessarily the plot driver. And there's another kind of caveat to that that we'll talk about, but even like you can have a book that is a fantasy romance. Mm -hmm. It's whether it's a fantasy that has a romance in it or a romance that it takes place in a fantasy setting depends on what the central driver of that plot and story are. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest criticisms that I hear a lot about romance books is that there is no plot. And I'm like, you may be missing the point. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's, that's kind of the central point. There's also a couple of rules that something has to meet in order to be a romance. What those rules specifically are is somewhat debated. The only one that is on every single list that I read is it has to have a happy ending in order for something to be a romance. It has to have a happy ending. It's one of the reasons I love reading them. It goes back to that safety that we talked about. Mm -hmm. So unless we go into the subgenre of one of my favorites, tragic romance, which I adore. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, but that would maybe be a tragedy with a romance is, mm-hmm. is the other thing. So the other, the couple other things that are generally considered required for being a romance is that the relationship is the center of the story. We talked about that. There's no cheating. Um, and there can be sex on page, but there doesn't have to be. So all of the other books that we've done are considered 
romances based off of these rules. The no cheating part surprises me, though, because so you're saying that if a book has cheating in it, then it's no longer a romance? According to some of the rules. Interesting, because I you feel like do... a lot of like romantic stories that have a lot of like conflict in it would involve cheating and things like that. Not not a, not for it to officially fall into some people's categories of some people didn't have that on the list. Some people do. I would say I read just to give people an idea. I've read like a lot of romance books. <laughs> um, not all of them are spicy. And most of them in the, of these three categories that we're going to talk about are solidly romance books, mm-hmm. not some of the other ones. Um, and I would say 99% of them don't have anything remotely close to cheating. Interesting. And even if it's just as simple as a kiss, they tend to confess and apologize. Okay. But they generally have external plot lines, but those external plot lines are to generally drive the couple together or force them apart. So this makes me think of when we watched uh, North and South and the external plot line was way too sad for Lillian and it almost made her not like the love story because it was too depressing and real. (laughs) Um, And I think the example that I wrote down here that I thought was so interesting to think about in this context is if we look at Jane Eyre with this lens on and we look at the idea of um, Bertha as one of the external plot lines, mm-hmm. she is both driving them together and push, she's pushing them together and driving them apart. Yeah. Um, because the fire that she sets brings them together very clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then super obviously her existing in the world and being married <laughs> to Rochester drives them apart. So that's, that's what makes something a romance. Then I'm going to talk about erotica and then I will also not for long. Um, and then <laughs> We'll talk about what makes something an erotic romance and what the difference is there. <laughs> and then we will move on to something completely else. This is not the only thing we're talking about today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> erotica does not have to have any romance in it. And the, instead of the romance being the central point the sex and sexual exploration are the central point. So that is what the story is about is sexual exploration. Mm -hmm. So the plot, there can be romantic elements to it, but the driver of the plot is uh, sexual exploration. And generally if something meets the definition of erotica, but breaks one of the romance rules, it stops being categorized as a romance and solidly becomes erotica. Interesting. So like, um, if there was that active cheating element, then it's erotica. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, and if it was an erotic story that ended with the tragedy, that might not be considered romance. That might be considered erotica. Okay. Or an erotic tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's like, what, what do you do for a living? It's like, I write erotic tragedy novels. It's like, damn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no, I don't tell anyone about it. <laughs> it's sex and it always ends with tears it's like oh no so the last genre here is uh so erotic romance is a subgenre of romance so it does have to meet all of those romance criteria that we talked about Mm -hmm. but that plot that i talked about the external plot elements that push the couple together and force them apart in these sorts of stories are is sex. So the sexual exploration is the plot element that's pushing people together and, um, and pulling them apart. So an example of that would be 50 shades of gray Mm -hmm. is very much an erotic romance. Yeah. Um, where this book and all the Bridgerton books are solidly romances. Mm -hmm. They are not erotic romances. Yeah. I, uh, (laughs) read a book once where it was definitely a, uh, 
uh, let me see. Okay, I'm going to describe the book for you, and then you tell me the category, Lillian. So okay. it was definitely a sex-driven plot because it was about this guy who is like, uh, boyfriends with a witch and then he broke up with her and so she cursed him so that he could never climax and he also lives forever and so he like found this lady and while they were like having sex like they got bound to each other magically and like if they didn't have sex every like six hours she would die <laughs> so but then he also couldn't climax so it was like really weird I guess eventually they probably fell in love but I stopped reading <laughs> so what kind of book is that <laughs> Also, listeners, if you've read this book, please write us. I don't remember what it's called. <laughs> that one is a um, erotic uh, romance, right? <laughs> she, I killed her. I killed her with my description. <laughs> I was suing Piper cut some of that out, but I laughed for a solid minute. <laughs> yeah. But Lillian, what, what genre is it? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's probably erotica. Yeah, I think but so. It could be, but it could be erotic romance. <laughs> we'll never know because I didn't finish it. So who knows if I fell in love? It depends on if they had a happy ending or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sure didn't. <laughs> Cursed by a witch. Okay. Oh, that should have been the name of the book. Okay, are we? Are, so okay, that's, so we've got. <laughs> so that's everything I have. I have other things on, on some of the like stats and stuff about the popularity of it. But I we think should get back we to can Bridgerton. all see why people love <laughs> the witch cursing book. Yeah. <laughs> the most important thing, the only thing that I really want to mention here, just to wrap us up and, and bring us back to Bridgerton, is these books have value. There is a lot that I could talk about with them. I could talk about them for days and days and days. Um, they are, it is not the same. It's not something that can and should be dismissed as mm -hmm. unimportant. And also nothing, and it's also even if all the value it has is it brings you joy and it makes you happy and it's something you enjoy, then that in and of itself has value. And if anybody else tries to make you feel ashamed of that, send them to me and I will set them straight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lillian has a stand set up forever in that abandoned Kmart parking lot for <laughs> fighting people <laughs> who are mean. So. I changed the sign. It's one of those like convince me I'm wrong signs, yes. except instead it says <laughs> fight me because I'm not going to be convinced. Amazing. <laughs> I'm always there like rubbing her shoulders like <laughs> as her coach in the corner, which by the way, there's a lot of boxing in this uh, show. Yeah. I, I am an avid uh, fan of boxing as a sport. I love boxing movies. So I at least enjoyed that they kind of brought some of that in. I don't think anyone taught these actors anything about boxing. I think they literally just were doing what they think boxing is. It wasn't very good boxing filming, but it was nice as a kind of side story. It was 1813 boxing. They did historically accurate boxing and nothing else historically accurate. <laughs> you know this is a fact? Yeah, uh, okay. 100% for sure. Okay. Um, she just looked around the room as if she's not certain. <laughs> liar, liar. <laughs> okay, well, I, rather than like going through the plot of this and going into details on that, I have some things that I wanted to ask you about. Mostly, mm -hmm. I want to ask you about what you think of particular characters. Great. And I'm going to start with a character that in your recap, you alluded to maybe not being your favorite, which okay. is what did you think of Daphne Bridgerton, the main character in the story? Um, I, okay, so I want to start by, before I go into any analysis of characters, by saying, I think one thing that, uh, really was part of my, my viewing experience, I felt a little frustrated as a modern audience, um, because I felt every single person in this society, women and men, are locked and restrained in the ridiculous rules of this, like, 
uh, society that they live in. And it really bothered me about how much the women have to follow these rules. And even the men, though they have more freedom, they also are so restrained by everything. Cause it's just like, oh, this is, you know, polite, proper society. And that really like, I don't know, dug under my skin a little bit. So I think Daphne is doing the best that she can given everything that is on her shoulders. No, I, I didn't dislike her. Uh, she was definitely very much the, you know, like I'm very pretty and perfect and something that her sister points out constantly. Uh, even said, she said that to her in the last episode and Daphne was like, oh, thank you. And I'm like, that didn't sound like a compliment to me. Like that sounded kind of spiteful, but no, she's, uh, she's got all this weight on her shoulders to like, you know, be the best because the queen said so, which is like random. Okay. Uh, but then, yeah, she's also, you know, genuinely, I think she was brought up in this kind of sheltered, perfect life that she thought, you know, oh, well, my parents had love, so I want love. And then she slowly realizes that's unbelievably rare to find. Uh, luckily, she finds it. Um, but then also they have all the, the classic, like, misunderstanding things that causes them to have all these ups and downs. So, no, I didn't dislike her, but I she's not a character that I would put in my top 20 favorite fictional characters either. I don't think she really stood out to me in ways that I was like, Ooh, I like this about her. I mean, I thought yeah. she was just, she's doing the best that she can. That's what I thought. Yeah, I do. I absolutely see that. And I think, so I've, I've read all of the Bridgerton books and unlike the TV show, which centers the story around the two main characters and their love story. Mm -hmm. um, and the second season centers around different characters and they're going to continue to go that way. The books do that as well. But the books, it's literally just about those two characters where this is taking these characters that we know from this world and bringing them all in and kind of giving them all this extra plot and all these extra things. And I do think that, well, with every other character in Bridgerton, I love that we get to see more of them. I love that they get to have these additional arcs. Mm -hmm. Daphne is still a pretty two-dimensional character who we don't even get to hear her inner monologue, which is where we get to see more of her depth in the books. Yeah. So I think that of all the characters, Daphne, the actress who played Daphne did an amazing job of giving her some depth. But I think that just in general, it's tough. Daphne doesn't have a lot of depth in this. She is a little bit more two-dimensional. Mm -hmm. um, but she's also sort of meant to set the stage for right. what should a character, like what should a woman be in this? What is exactly. incredible success here? Yeah. Um, and how that can even go wrong for those people who are this like archetypal perfect person yeah because she doesn't have the best of time with it I and like when it comes to that sort of like perfect character who is revealed to you know have like actual inner struggles because every human being does um Not me but yeah I <laughs> I guess I wish we could have seen that fleshed out a bit more like I think those were the moments when I did like Daphne better is like I think my favorite moment was maybe when she's yelling at her mom in the garden to say, like, you were too embarrassed to tell me about sex. And so mm -hmm. you threw me out into the world and I just had to find it out. I mean, lucky for Daphne, she had a fantastic first time. Uh, but like, you know, if she hadn't, yikes and scary mm -hmm. for many women of this time period. Um, well, and so I, I liked seeing her frustration and her actually like being like, OK, I'm mad at you. Like uh, you protected me in this bubble of perfectness, but that's not the way the world is. And I I was unprepared. So that was, I think, my favorite moment for her. Yeah. And I think another moment that I really liked is when she's talking to Antony after he's sort of like fucked up her whole 
everything. That's her um, brother, right? Her eldest yes. brother? Yeah. Okay. I do. The Bridgertons are alphabetically named. And um, I'm assuming since you mentioned literally none of their names, you don't know what they are. But I nope. do know notes, know them. Um, it's Anthony, <laughs> Benedict, Colin, Daphne, Eloise, Gregory, Hyacinth. Sideburns, artist, sweet boy, uh, perfect princess, uh, book nerd, uh, young daughter, young brother. I, I forgot got Francesca, which anybody who's read the books does know that that is classic. <laughs> <laughs> Francesca's kind of whole plot is that she is forgotten. <laughs> There's several scenes in the show. Um, Violet, the mom, will say it's so nice for all of us to be together. And Francesca is not in the room. <laughs> oh, my God. No, there was. I, yeah, because that girl showed up in a later episode when like the, the Duke and the Duchess come back to visit the family. And I'm like, mm-hmm. who the fuck is that person? Like, That's I how even... you're supposed to feel about Francesca. <laughs> well, they did it well. <laughs> That's what I'm saying is like, I think every other character in this show, Eloise, I love in the books. I love Eloise in the TV show. She's the book character that you're talking about. And I also think that season two, this is why, like, I thought you'd find season one fine. I thought you'd love (laughs) season two and I still do. And I'm I'm now, I'm not going to make you watch it unless this becomes our most popular episode of all time, in which case you do have to watch it. So listeners, if you want to hear Piper's recap of season two, we won't talk about erotica nearly as much. (laughs) Or maybe we'll double down on it. (laughs) Depending on what you guys want. We're here for you. Yeah, go ahead and uh, listen to this. Share it with friends who watch Bridgerton. Make it really popular so that I have ammo to bully Piper again. Oh my gosh! Um, next character. Who who are we talking about next? <laughs> so I I have I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the other Bridgerton siblings. So that's what did you think of Eloise Bookish sister? Um, you know I I feel like in her position I would feel the same. I think her. I think the the writing of her, it felt a little complainy to me. Like mm-hmm. all she ever talked about was being like, oh, like I want to go to school. And I'm like, yeah, girl, same. But also like this is all you ever say. And then she got hooked on trying to figure out who um, the secret writer is, who I don't know why I can't think. Whistledown. Whistledown. Yes. That silly name. Um, <laughs> and so I don't know, like I she felt very um, intense. Uh, yes. I mean, I, I, I get why she's upset. She has every reason to be, but I didn't find her pleasant. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I also think that's one of the other things too, is like, she's supposed to be a teenager. Like she's mm-hmm. supposed to be like 17 and it's, she seems 17 and Daphne, the character is supposed to be 21. Um, oh, she looks actress, so much younger than that. The actress who played her is 25. Okay. Um, wow. She's got a baby face baby face she looks so young that Um, was like one thing that made me a little uncomfy with the sex scenes is that she just seems so young and I'm like no it's cool like yeah have a great time live your life and I'm also like I feel like I'm watching an underage person do this but she just um, has that face (laughs) yeah and I I just I think that actress just has like oozes innocence which that Mm -hmm. character is supposed to yeah Um, I've seen some fashion shoots of her where she looks like a totally different person because she's not like she's a really good actress she's obviously very beautiful and that's an important part of playing this role but I also like you can tell in some of those shoots that she was acting that innocent yes I'm sure (laughs) um I would imagine that um bookish sister is probably one of your faves because of her outspokenness is that right I like her, but I definitely like, she reminds me of angsty teenage me who mm-hmm. also complained a lot. 
And instead of going on long rants on her podcast would just sort of complain to people about <laughs> how life wasn't fair and was very focused on how life wasn't fair for me specifically, mm -hmm. um, in an incredibly privileged, incredibly white life full of <laughs> money and power, but also I was a lady. And so that's <laughs> like, that's what I was aware of. And then as I grew up and saw the world, I was like, still mad about the bad things about being a lady. And that mm -hmm. is not, that didn't stop being hard. Mm -hmm. But damn, was it cushy though, to be a white one, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> a rich white one. Um, well, that's the thing is I feel like everyone is so locked in these little bubbles and it's like the little bit of things that they can control. They all just like fixate on those things, which mm -hmm. again, I get it, but I'm like, this is like a little hard to watch. I don't know. It just, it's so interesting to me that that's what you thought. I feel like it feels very similar to me, to me watching the 1934 adaption of Jane Eyre with a migraine mm -hmm. where <laughs> there was nothing that movie could have done to make me like it. And it also was bad where like, I feel like you had this bad taste in your mouth and you were like, I don't want to watch this. I don't like it. And I'm mad about it. <laughs> I, I really tried to be open and I, I know, and, I and I'm trying to like that. give like positive critiques and, and feedbacks. <laughs> and I didn't try even a little bit. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. Okay. So I, I, I also specifically, I want to know what you think about every single second of the entire show, but I specifically want to know what you think about Antony because I have some thoughts about that. So he's the oldest brother. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I thought he's the sexiest one. Oh my <laughs> God, sure. really? Yeah. He's uh, like, no, he's hot. I, I thought he was interesting. Um, it was, uh, like he's very protective of his sister and he like unintentionally ruins things for her at first. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, like he's definitely a hypocrite, but that's like the way that it is to be a man in this time of him being like, Oh, you have to, you know, be so chaste and, and honorable. Meanwhile, here he is banging his opera singer. I definitely saw it coming that she was going to leave him. Um, but also I think I was, I, that got spoiled for me cause I've seen, the only thing that makes me interested in season two is apparent, like I've seen stuff with him and some other lady and I'm like, well, that looks like it might be good, but I don't know. You um, would love, all I'm going to say that is season two is a Piper show. And I think yeah. your biases that are, you're, you're hopefully going to be like, oh, I understand why this has value a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to be quite as annoyed. Those would go away. A lot <laughs> of the things that you're talking about, like all these characters get a little bit more depth. And I think they, they tried to do, they introduced so many characters. I was mm -hmm. trying to make a list of the characters I wanted to know about, and I've already cut half the ones that I listed. Yeah. And I cut half of the characters that I wanted to ask about off this list as well. So they introduced a lot of characters in the show. They introduced a world and they created this blend of two genres. So mm -hmm. I give them a lot of leeway to get their feet under them a bit more. I'm yeah. really, the, there were things I didn't love about season two, but I think they had, they knew what they were doing a little bit more. They like mm -hmm. had their voice a little bit more yeah. and they were able to play in that space a bit more because of that. I can't wait for season three anyway. <laughs> so um, yeah, those are mostly my thoughts. I feel like, again, kind of so similar to Daphne, you can see that he has a lot of pressure on him because he's like, I have to be the man of this house. I have to take care of all my siblings. And I feel like there's only really a scene or two where we see him kind of like, you know, fussing away in an office, trying to like make sure they have funds or something or taking care of stuff. But a lot of time he's just kind of off like um, uh, gallivanting and like gambling and boxing and and smooching ladies. So he seems to have a pretty nice life. Um, yeah. I found show Anthony season one TV show, Anthony, I hated mm -hmm. woof 
no, thank you. Yeah. I have no interest in this man. Um, so interesting to me. I didn't even find him hot in this. I was like, I'm so annoyed by you and everything that you're doing. I was really, really annoyed by his romance with the opera singer because he like says he does my least favorite thing, which is like, I'm going to be here for you forever. And you can count on me until two minutes from now when the plot decides that I'm not going to be here for you. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah, no, he wasn't sexy in his personality. He was just sexy in appearance. Um. <laughs> yes. That's the other, another Bridgerton. And then I will move on to um, the, there's two other characters. And then I want to talk about the Duke for a long, long time. Okay. And um, then we got to wrap up because we're all, almost at an hour already. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so Violet Bridgerton, what did you think of Violet Bridgerton? She's the mom. Oh, um, nice lady, uh, should be better at talking about sex, uh, so that she can educate her daughter. Like that was a very frustrating scene when her daughter's literally asking her, she's like, what should I know? And she's like, um, well, dogs have puppies. Um, goodbye. And I was just like, come on woman. Like you gave birth to so many babies. You've done this so many times. I know society doesn't let you talk about sex. It's uncomfy, but come on, like do the, at least the birds and the bees. Like, at yeah. least, like the best she got was her brothers being like, have you ever been to a farm? It's like, <laughs> yeah. Like, have you seen animals banging? Yeah. Like that's what humans do too. Where she like literally doesn't like, that's the whole thing about the way that they have sex. Like she literally doesn't know mm -hmm. how babies are made. Until um, a housekeeper tells, like, alludes to it, mm -hmm. and then she figures it out. Which we do get that great scene um, when the uh, pregnant girl comes to stay at the house, and um, the ginger, who I really liked, who secretly whistled Penelope. down... Penelope. Um, she runs off to go tell her bookish friend. She's like, oh my God. And she has a baby. And she's like, well, we have to figure out how babies are made. Cause I don't want that to happen to me. It's just like, oh my God, what a reason. <laughs> and when the mom, the Mrs. Featherington says, um, that the reason they can't hang out with Marina is because her it's condition catching. is catching. Yes. And they're all like, can you, they literally think they can catch being pregnant and God. I find that hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. And also so sad. Like, <laughs> I love another period piece on Netflix that I adore actually is Anne with an E. Um, and there's a similar scene where uh, the girls like a rumor spreads because none of these girls are educated in sex. And so a rumor spreads that if you hold a boy's hand, you'll get pregnant and they all start freaking out about it. And their school teacher is like, holy shit. Okay. Everyone sit down. We're going to have the talk. And I'm like, thank God. <laughs> like, this is awful. Please educate people. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Um, okay. So really, really quick. Um, I want to ask what you think about Queen Charlotte, the queen. Um, very little opinion of her. Okay. Uh, I thought she was, I don't know, cold and standoffish. And, uh, I didn't like how she was kind of a puppet master pulling strings. Yeah. She was a character made up for the show. I thought she was really interesting. The actress is fantastic. She's in mm -hmm. a ton of things. I love that actress. I also loved everything they did with her wigs. Yeah. The wigs um, were cool. She was in Luther Torchwood and Lady Macbeth. So another <laughs> character that I love, who's was a favorite of mine in the books and, um, was a favorite of mine on the show. And I think they did an amazing job of making her different in the show, but also, really encapsulating like her energy and her role and was so critical as part of this like ensemble cast that they created for the show um was lady danbury who was the cool aunt with the cane yes no that lady was a was a badass she was like one of the only people one of the only women who had some serious agency and like didn't give a fuck about society which i feel like in period dramas we see a lot when it comes to 
dowagers um, mm-hmm. and widows because it's like I already did the thing that society asks of me and now I'm old and I've got money and power. So I'm going to just be comfortable and do what I want. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I think that that's part of what I like about the queen is that she has that power. And I don't she also is a super crazy, which I sort of enjoy, but, um, (laughs) I, I thought that her love story with the King too is really well done and played as like this subtle secondary piece there. Um, and there's actually, I saw when I was looking at the IMDb, there's going to be a TV show about the queen. Um, it's a separate minute mini series and lady Danbury is going to be in that as well. I don't know when it's coming out. I literally just found out about it. I'm so excited. Very cool. Of all those characters that you listed, I mean, you just mm-hmm. said that lady Danbury is your favorite, but of the other ones, cause you were just asking me in my opinion, uh-huh. who of those people stands out to you as like either your personal favorite or the best portrayed in the show. That's a great point. I really love Violet Bridgerton. Um, who's again, the mom, I think they do an amazing job of making her both an incredible mother, but also human, which Mm -hmm. is not often portrayed in media and is really well done in the books as well. And even though exactly what she does isn't the same between the TV show and the books, I think her action, like her character remains the same kind of like energy and role. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really, really love that. I love that she does one of my favorite things that women do in TV shows, but also have done in the world for years and years, which is exerting power with subtle social change. So like, for example, the way that she handles the whole Nigel Burberry thing, Mm -hmm. um, he was the guy who um, tried to blackmail them into letting Daphne marry him. I think that that was really interesting. Um, I, I think in general, the role that she plays is is so well done, but then she has these big flaws of like, she doesn't do a good job of managing to tell Daphne, you know, how babies are made before she goes off (laughs) to have sex with her husband who doesn't, who, who can't have kids. No, I'm glad you, you brought that up. Cause yeah, in, in binging eight episodes, there's so many details that like have kind of slipped from the front of my Mm -hmm. mind. Um, that was a good scene. Like you're right of how she exerts her power. Um, and I like that we see, I think it shows that Daphne learns that a bit from her mom. Cause there are things later on where Daphne mm-hmm. is like, well, I'm going to use my influence as a duchess to help this, uh, pregnant girl and kind of bring her back into society. Um, so you're right. That is a nice kind of subtle being like, we can't go out and like make a grand speech, but I can like, you know, go through the grapevine and like spread influence and make something happen. So yeah. Yeah. I think Lady Danbury, I will say my favorite. I love her sister so, so much. She's fantastic in the books. People are like terrified of her in the books. The mm-hmm. moment when she um, goes to the ball and um, Daphne standing there with her brothers and all of them like see Lady Danbury and try to scatter and run away. And she goes, <laughs> I've seen you. You can't get away. That is like an actual scene that happens in the books. Nice. It's so amazing. They're all terrified of her and she doesn't care at all. And she just walks around telling people what she really thinks, which in a society that's this buttoned up is like galling. Everyone is like, what do you mean? Well, she, she gives that great speech to, um, little baby Duke when she says, I can't remember exactly. I'm sure you have this written down, but she's like, I decided at an early age that people were going to be terrified of me. And she's like, and then that just became like my personality. Um, so she's, she knows it and she owns it. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the things I love so very, very much. Is it Duke time? 
It is Duke time. Let's okay. talk about the Duke. So if anybody's wondering who my <laughs> ideal man is, it is TV show Bridgerton Duke of Hastings. See, one thing I was wondering is like, because I think this is a, this Bridgerton is a perfect example of how like when we went into um, Jane Eyre, right? Mm-hmm. I first had goo goo eyes for Timothy Dalton as Rochester. And so I went in completely accepting everything and like blah, 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 blah. I saw him and I'm like, well, that's like a Lillian has a poster of this guy, like in her bedroom <laughs> for sure. Like this is like her ideal man. So of course, like the, whatever plot is structured around him, I think she's going to go for it. Not to say that Bridgerton's plot isn't good, but I'm like this, he's the little cherry on top for you. He, he is physically 10 out of 10. Perfect. <laughs> the only thing that I would change about him is I would add a, just like a scooch a floof to him so that he would be a little more cuddle for me, but that's <laughs> fine. But I will, I will sacrifice and let him be ripped. Well, it's, it's like, fine. Oh no, your rock hard abs are hard to sleep on. Owie. <laughs> but it's fine. It's you just, that's fine. Cause he makes up with it for his personality, which is <laughs> like the most broken parts of me are like, it, I could fix him. Oh, I yeah. can fix him. <laughs> he just so... needs me to love him right. And oh, then he goodness. Will be fixed. He's a boy who grew up without love and he just needs that from Lillian and, and Daphne, I guess. And we wouldn't fight at all. We would never fight. No. I would never try to trap him into getting me pregnant. I would I was... deal with it before that. That scene, man, I was like, dude, have a conversation. Don't force him to come inside of you. Jesus. So yeah. Like, so that was very clearly, that is incredibly different in the books, which I won't, I don't want to like go too much. I don't want to turn into like, this is how it's different in the books. And this is why it's better in the books. I don't like being <laughs> that person. Um, but specifically that scene, I think they tried to ratchet up the drama and like tried to tell this like story rather than through dialogue through this sexy scene. Mm -hmm. Um, I hated it. It was not a consensual situation. There's Mm -hmm. some rules around consent that we could talk about. We talked a lot about sex already. I thought it crossed a line and that made me not happy. It made me genuinely uncomfortable in the books. She does talk to him about it. So she finds out about this she puts together, oh my God, that's why he's always keeping me out of the puddle, which is so gross. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, but then she goes and talks to him and he like, they get in this huge fight where he says, I told you that I couldn't have kids. And she goes, couldn't and wouldn't are two different things. Yep. And then he goes, okay, well, that's what you're saying. And now you're like, so he comes in with this like classic male attitude of like, I kind of lied to you, but not really, but I'm going to blame you. Very Syrian Hines Rochester. Um, (laughs) And, and like, he's all mad at her, but then she just goes, okay, well, I'm going to sleep in my bedroom. You are not invited. um, And you're not allowed to be a part of this. And there is a scene where they do have sex after that, but that is much more consensual than this. So most of the plot stays the same, Mm -hmm. but there is a conversation before that. And it's not her being like, okay, I've figured this out and I need his jizz. Yeah. Oh boy. That it frustrates me when this happens in fiction and like from some people's real life relationships that I know where it's like, 
instead of actually solving your issues, you have sex. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Sex does not replace a conversation. Mm -hmm. So, but like, obviously that wasn't the fault of storytelling. They wanted to do that to cause this element of tension between them. Cause they're like, oh, they're Mm -hmm. so blissfully married by halfway through the season. We have to throw in some conflict. And so here was the conflict of her thinking that he was barren, but actually he's jizzing in a rag because he doesn't want to do an insider and have babies because he swore to his dad he never would. Um, Yeah. Speaking of, we, we talked so much about tropes and trope like things. I love a fake dating trope. I love an enemies to lovers. That's Mm -hmm. both of these. I hate a misunderstanding third act breakup. Oh God. Cause I'm like, Oh, how long until you guys talk to each other and get back together? (laughs) Genuinely. I skipped that episode. (laughs) Nice. Oh my gosh. So I, I do want to talk about a part that I, I think that we can agree. The Duke of Hastings does a speech Mm -hmm. like no other. He does so good. I know you didn't like them as much because apparently you thought Daphne didn't like them, but I thought her faces were great. I don't know. There was, so are you talking about the scene where he's talking to the queen? I've got three speeches that he does. Okay, go ahead. Well, and I have a speech that she does. Yeah. So he, he said, uh, he's got a couple sexy lines too. Um, She says, um, if you're truly courting me, like you couldn't say that, like you wouldn't do this. And he goes, if I was truly courting you, or she says he'd send her flowers. Sorry. If you were truly courting me, you would send me flowers. And then he responds with, if I was truly courting you, all I would need was five minutes alone in the drawing room. Oh shit. What a specific flirt. He's just like spooking this little virgin. (laughs) He doesn't know how ignorant she is. I know. Like we said, he has to teach her to masturbate. Like he's like, you've touched yourself. Right. And she's like, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, Oh boy. That is also added for the show. Um, but I think it's to get some of that steam that is in their heads Mm -hmm. in, in, in a way that you can talk about externally. Oh, the speech he gives to the queen. He gives a whole speech to the queen about why they should get married. Also not in the books, but I love it. His speech was great. Like I thought his part on that was awesome. They're trying to go on with their silly lie. And then he's like, actually, no, we're just super duper in love. And that's why we need this like expedited Mm -hmm. marriage license. That's when I thought Daphne was looking at him and it, it was probably just like the shock in her face, but I didn't see love in her eyes. It seemed more like she's like, oh my God, I thought you hated me and here you are confessing your feelings, but you're not looking at me. You're looking at the queen. I wish I could have heard about this in a different room ahead of time. I don't know. So I, I, I get, I loved the, the, the expression I, of passion from him. I didn't see it reflected back from her, but I fully disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that we usually don't. So I'm just tried lightly. You're wrong. You're wrong and I hate it. Okay. Next Meet me in my Kmart parking lot. <laughs> no, but um I I disagree because I saw her her I think her face starts like really scared that he's like outing them and like mm-hmm. what's gonna happen now because I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you remember that time that I said that if you don't marry me, my life is ruined, but that's still happening. Um <laughs> But it's like slowly watch it. I feel like you slowly watch her face as she realizes that most of this is true. So wait, are you saying that you're in love with me for real? And then the look on her face by the end of that scene, I thought it was really slow the way Mm -hmm. that her face transitioned to that. But by the end of that scene, I feel like it's this, like that, that perfect moment of I really hope you're saying something real. Like, Mm -hmm. I hope you're talking about me and, but I'm scared that you're not, that this isn't real. Yeah. And, and I, I love everything that you're saying. And the line that he says that I wrote down, 
um, that he says towards the very end. So he's building up all of these things of like, I didn't like her. I mean, obviously I was attracted to her because she's a hot, hot hottie, but like, <laughs> I didn't like her. And I, we built a friendship. And then he says, uh, to find a beautiful woman is one thing, but to find your best friend in the most beautiful of women. And by that time, she's looking at him like, are you this, are you saying, are you just saying that? Or do you love me? Mm-hmm. Cause I love you. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I feel like her face is, is like, she's not returning those feelings, but she's like letting herself hope in a way that scares her. And yeah. I love that. I thought, yeah, no, it was nice. I think maybe one thing that bothered me about that scene is I think, doesn't the queen then ask, and she's like, does your bride feel the same or your engaged feel the same? And it like cuts to Daphne and Daphne looks like from him to the queen. And then it just cuts to their wedding. And I didn't like that. It kind of took that possible moment of agency away from her by us, like hearing her confirm it. And like also saying aloud to him, because I was, the thing is that they kept going on this misunderstanding that they thought that they loved the other and the other did not reciprocate their feelings. And I'm like, just just write, write each other a note set past the note that says, do you like me? Yes. No, maybe. And if yeah. you choose maybe I'll fight you in a Kmart parking and lot. I, like. <laughs> if you choose, maybe I'll fight you in a Kmart parking lot. You can either like me or not. But if it's a maybe we have to fight. Exactly. Um, well, I think that that's, I think that that's part of the struggle with the way that they change the storytelling. So when it's the center, when the only story being told is the romance, mm-hmm. it's not actually that drawn out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're telling it while telling this, like Marina's pregnant and what's going to happen to that. And then also we're trying to figure out who Lady Whistledown is and we're running around and the queen's got some demands. And then there's a <laughs> prince here too. And what's that about the prince is not in the book. <laughs> so like, I think they're trying to tell a lot. They're trying to do all of these things with that story. And because yeah. of that, it draws out this plot that is unnecessary and annoying. Yeah. Um, and then they do it like six times. Mm-hmm. So I, I will accept that criticism about this show that I love so much, <laughs> but the other speech, I agree with you about the way that like, if she had had more of a response, that moment would have been better. But I also think having the audience there made that really hard mm-hmm. and it bummed the wedding bums me out because they're both upset. Yeah. So it's like, instead of being like them being in love, I wish they didn't show the wedding. Yeah. Um, I they also looked sorry. like. Yeah, they both look like they're full of guilt because they think they're trapping the other. And I'm like, this is, you actually love each other, but you can't relish in that love together. And that was mm-hmm. frustrating. Yeah. yeah, I wish they had had their moment of reconciliation before the wedding or just not showed us the wedding. Yeah. But the other speech, and this is the one that everybody loves, is before they get down and dirty for the first time, which their wedding night, he... Uh, gets them separate rooms, which is cool. And also in the book. (laughs) And then they're going to go down to dinner and he comes in to talk to her. And the beginning of his speech, as he, he says pretty dramatically, everything I said to the queen was true. So he's giving a really romantic speech. He's like in that moment. And he says, from the mornings you ease to the evenings, you quiet to the dreams you inhabit. My thoughts of you never end. I am yours. And then they go back and forth a little bit more as she like questions that and looks like you seem mad. And he's like, I'm not mad. And she's like, you're all like flush. And he's like, 
it's not, that's not what this is about. And he goes, that's how you look when you're mad. And he goes, no, it's how you look when you're so horny, you could die. I burn for you. And then they, she says it back to him and it's so good. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm just going to jizz my pants because I like you so much. Uh, yeah. And then they do it at the end, right? That's where they have their first time right there at the end. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> do it right there in the freaking end. Um, yeah. No, the moment where he, they get to the end and he's like, yeah, I got a separate bedroom. I was thinking, I thought to myself, I was like, man, if I was reading this in a book, cause there are certain like romantic beats that happen, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, okay, the wedding night here's going to be like their first big time. Can't wait for this. Uh, all these like sexy details. And like, when you're like, okay, I got you a separate room. I'm sure Daphne feels the exact same way. I'm like, come on, stop like <laughs> stretching this out. Like just get to it. I would have like flipped ahead a couple of pages and be like, oh, okay. They're kissing. They're kissing. Here we go. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. You would have been way more upset. They do not do it in the end of the book. They wait till they get home. Oh boy. They sleep in two different bedrooms at the end and then go to the house which by the way who needs a freaking prince when that guy's got his own mini palace i know because dukes are like kind of princes then skipping ahead which is what i do when i watch the show again (laughs) to the part so they they have a whole situation that happens and then at the very end when daphne has learned about empathy and love says to him something that I really loved this line that she says back to him, which is just because something is not perfect does not mean it's not worthy of love. Mm -hmm. Um, and then she had the actual gall to walk away instead of kissing him. Yep. Not cool. Um, out in the rain. Put your money where your mouth is, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Prove it with a smooch. And then the very last thing that the last speech that they have that I really, really loved is when he comes in and he's all disheveled, which we love. We've talked mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, I don't know how to be the man that you need me to be. And they have this lovely moment coming together of realizing that they don't have to be the right person for each other, this perfect version that they want to be mm-hmm. for the other person. And I think that that's a level of understanding to the show that does make me like it more when I rewatch it is realizing that both of these people were under the impression that they should and had to be perfect. Like Daphne's whole thing, like the annoying thing about her as a character is her perfection. In her head, you can hear more of that pressure of that um, perfection. Mm -hmm. And you see that in her one conversation with Anthony that she has about it. Um, where she says, this has been my whole life is mm-hmm. coming to this. Yeah. Um, and if I fail at this, I'm not worth anything. And he doesn't really have anything to say to that because yeah. it's not untrue. Mm-hmm. So she has this pressure of perfection. And then he also, he puts pressure of perfection on himself because his father wouldn't love him unless he was perfect. Yeah. And I think that that's a beautiful moment of those two people coming together and going, I'm not perfect. You are not perfect. Let's work to be what the other one needs instead of being perfect. No, I like that too. I think too, to add another layer to Daphne's pressure of perfection is this whole idea that if she makes a good match, then her sisters will do better. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. like, if she just like had a mediocre like match or whatever, like then they can't have as nice of a life. And it's the whole system. This thing is built on just made me so angry. I'm like, honestly, I'd rather be a peasant. Like the nice living I don't think is worth this. (laughs) Yeah. I I definitely wouldn't want to be a peasant. I think I would be a great duchess. Um, but I'm not a fan (laughs) of the patriarchy just then now, not a fan. No, no. I don't think it's good for anybody. Dude. Um, yeah. Put me in the third class Titanic dancing in the bottom hall. <laughs> Probably I'll drown. With the rest I, of us, I love but... you. I love you so much. I don't think you would be a good peasant. 
we'll see. Now I'll just be um I'll I'll, I'll be like those great uh, journalist ladies who climbed up, and it's like you know what? The only way a man will take me seriously is if I go around the world in less than eighty days and lock myself in an asylum and report on it. That's what I'm doing here, people. Nellie Bly, famous woman, oh my God, incredible yes. lady. Well. This was a weird one, huh, guys? Um, <laughs> if you stuck around, we appreciate you. Yeah, we um, sure do. If this was the first one you listened to because you have been just out there binging Bridgerton content, like some of us, wow, thank you. Um, please keep <laughs> listening. I hope you found us entertaining a little bit. What a weird <laughs> selection of people, huh? We, we bought microphones and this is on the internet. So... Absolutely. Well, you know what? I haven't listened to anyone else dis- dissect Bridgerton, but I really hope that we brought some interesting perspectives to the table. So, yeah, I think so. I've listened to a lot of people dissect Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> How many of them talked about the cum rag, Lillian? <laughs> None of them. Not a single one said Damn. the term cum rag. Now, wow. a lot of people talked about the cum. <laughs> <laughs> Cowards. Every last and, one of them. <laughs> and for those of you that we said we would try to keep those references to the front and you're catching them here at the end again. I'm sorry. Piper was right. You should have just skipped the whole episode. That's my yep. bad. <laughs> Lillian, should we give this a review? <laughs> oh yeah. What is your rating of this Piper? Um, I think I'm going to give it a five out of 10 mutton chops. Oh um, yeah. Wow, it was... so you really didn't like, <laughs> no, I thought it was just fine. A five is right in the middle there. Okay. Um, it wasn't bad. It wasn't something I would choose to watch again. Um, I'm you know what, something I talk about with Sam all the time when we're talking about media is if there's something that we see ahead of time, that looks like it's not necessarily going to be the best or not really our thing. Mm -hmm. I think he's more inclined to be like, well, I can tell it's not great. So I'm not going to watch it. I'm more of the mindset where I'm like, I want to be able to talk intelligently about why I don't like something and maybe I'll Mm -hmm. watch it and I'll love it. I don't think, I think it's, it's not great to just judge something before you've consumed it. Right. So I'm glad that I've seen this. I have an opinion now and I can like talk about it intelligently. And I understand why people love this. I don't think it's bad. It's just not for me. Okay. I will. I'll let that, I'll let that be then. Um, (laughs) I, I think as we've talked about this and also in my hundred thousand thousands, hundreds, are you having a stroke? Are you okay? <laughs> Hundred thousand rewatch of this. That was bizarre. I I I love this show. I really enjoy this show. It scratches a very specific itch for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. I think there's some real flaws to it. Um, but I'm because of that. It's not a ten. Uh, but it is a nine. It's a nine nice. deuce out of 10. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, speaking of one other thing I wanted to mention, cause you brought up mutton chops, those go for season two. They stop <gasps> trying to do historic hair at all. Like they don't even allude to it. And they're like, let's give them good haircuts. Wow. <laughs> um, so if that was one of the things holding you back from watching the second season, it wasn't. I thought he looked fine. <laughs> but I've also seen thumbnails of him without them. And I'm like, yeah, no, he's just like a handsome dude. I like that they kind of mim- minimized his his um, curl on front of his, mm. in his head. I thought that was a bit much, but yeah. 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 Well, well cool. thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're going to do something a little bit different than we've ever done before. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not going to talk about erotica at all, which is unique for us. Um <laughs> What we are going to do is we have now watched, well, we've watched 12 different adaptions of Jane Eyre, 
but one of them was a comedy sketch and one of them was an episode of Star Trek. So we are not <laughs> counting those as like more traditional adaptions of Jane Eyre. So we have watched 10 like true adaptions of the story of Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we are going to reflect back on them and do sort of a re-rating ranking mm-hmm. conversation where we talk through every adaption um, and reflect on them in context. It's something we've alluded to a lot that mm-hmm. um, our feelings about each one has been so dependent on a million different things and how much we knew and didn't know about what kind of Rochester we liked. Um, particularly my feelings about the 83 have been really colored by the fact that I did not know the story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I really think when the time comes, cause we've talked about going back and specifically rewatching the eighties one, I mm-hmm. think you will feel very differently, but I don't know. I just, I, there was three episodes about the childhood Piper. We can skip that. We can just jump to where Jane meets Rochester and just focus on uh, Timothy Dalton fanning out, you know, at least that's what I'll be doing. I'll be. Yes, obviously that's yeah. like the only, the only thing that I ever expect you to do. I actually am surprised anytime you're not fangirling right. about Timmy D. So, um, <laughs> but that's, so that's what we're going to be doing next time is we're going to be talking about all 10 of the adaptions that we've watched. If you are curious about which adaptions we've watched, you can go to our website and see, we have a page on our website that's adaptions watched. Um, it's very aptly named. Um, <laughs> you can go in and see all the different adaptions and you can go listen to any of our old episodes. If there's some that maybe you hadn't listened to, um, and Blaine, what's the name of the website? Oh, just find us on the internet, guys. Try really hard. Um, <laughs> our website is airbuds.weebly.com because it's free. Um, <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I mean, not all of us can be a, a sleuth like that one Bridgerton sister trying to find the uh, identity oh, of, of Whistledown. So um, <laughs> in case you're not that sneaky, then um, yes. You can also find us at Airbuds on Instagram and on Twitter. We are also, we have the Facebook page. You can find us there. And if you're a little bit more interested in emailing us your thoughts about um, how bad my takes on erotica are to get that Kmart parking lot address, you can email us uh, <laughs> airbuds at gmail.com. Uh, we love, 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 love hearing from you guys. So we're going to talk about those, all of those adaptions next week. And please send us any adaptions that you want us to watch. Yes, please do. We'd love to hear from you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, If you rewatched Bridgerton with us and enjoyed this talk of insanity (laughs) or these two different opinions, we'd love to hear about it. But uh, until next week, happy Air Buds reading and watching. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Okay, before you stop recording. Oh. You said happy Air Buds reading and watching. Do you want to do that again and do Jane Eyre reading and watching? Or are you good no. with what you said? No, I'm sticking to it. I'm okay. leaving this audio in. Goodbye forever. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs>